Uh, good afternoon, everyone, and thanks for listening in to CFRC 101.9 FM. My name is Joel Sindel, and I'm here with Linda Mussel. Uh, Linda is a PhD candidate with the Department of Political Studies here at Queen's University. Her dissertation research features intersectional policy analysis of intergenerational incarceration in countries grappling with the legacies of colonialism. Welcome, Linda. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So, uh, so I'm finishing up my dissertation in the Department of Political Studies, and I'm looking, I'm focusing on policy. So I'm focusing on policy decisions made by government, made by institutions, and the impacts that you see uh, on people today, and the impacts that you see on their families. So that's my, my real focus. I also do a lot of work in the community in Kingston and, and beyond. Uh, around people who are criminalized and inside and outside of prison. And so I've been hearing from people I work with and, um, and their experiences working with people inside about what, what that's looking like, in addition to my focus, which is more policy-focused, so looking at decision-making and, and that sort of thing. That's, you got a lot on, your, lot on your plate there. Yes. Yeah, there's <laughs> a lot going on. <laughs> okay, so... Um... How has COVID-19 affected Canadian prison institutions in your point of view? So, so I think it's, it's impacting uh, people inside in a major way. I think you see a lot of fear, a lot of stress amongst people who are confined. First of all, because there's a lack of information that they're receiving about what's going on. If COVID is in their institution, what's being done to stop it? They're essentially receiving information like we are on the outside just from the news. Then you're also seeing uh, outbreaks and people who are uh, endangered because it's impossible to actually isolate yourself when you're confined inside a prison. You see mental health impacts. So uh, when a prison is under lockdown, uh, people aren't able to leave their cell for maybe more than 15 minutes or an hour per day. And so they don't have time to necessarily make phone calls to their family, to, to get enough exercise, all those sorts of things. You see impacts on people who are working in prisons too, who are being expected in some cases to isolate from their families as well. So that's the case in the, the local prisons around Kingston. I think those are some of the, the major things on my mind. Are there any other things that you want me to speak to specifically? You, you're, you brought up about how inmates aren't able to see their families because of COVID. They're, they're being regulated there. But I also read, um, I think in a CTV article, that their, their lawyers are still allowed to go in and uh, like their attorneys are able to work with them still. Do you think that's a uh, good or do you think they should allow their families to be going in? So... I think it's a really complicated thing. I think it's it's really hard for families not to be able to see their loved ones. I think uh, if it's the case that you know it's it's too much of a risk, um, I think they really need to be ensuring that people are able to have phone calls and video calls. And I know that um, some people from inside have said that they haven't had access to phones, for example, in Joyceville since they went on lockdown in, on Tuesday. So, I mean, in an ideal situation, I think that people, families should be able to go in. But if not, I think they really need to make sure that those other communication methods are are in place as they're supposed to be. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. And it's it's really sad to hear that some uh, some inmates aren't able to have like access to phones, access to video calls. When that's to us, uh, like on the outside, it seems like a normal thing to be able to do. But it, if some people aren't even able to get that, that's that's very sad to hear. Yes, and I know there's a lot of families uh, that live in the Kingston area, actually, like that move here to be near their loved ones uh, in federal prisons. And so there's a lot of people who are really worried and concerned and aren't getting any information. So, 
you know, there's people who are like sitting in front of their computers, just like looking at the CEC website to see what numbers look like in institutions. And those numbers aren't being updated regularly and they can't speak to people inside. So there's a lot of, a lot of people going through hard times right now. Yeah, it's, yeah, it sounds horrible. It's kind of like the saying, I was like so close, but yet so far, like they're right outside the, the institutions, but they're, they're not able to see their loved ones, which is horrible. Yeah, exactly. And so as of December 17th, there are 80 inmates and four staff members who have tested positive for COVID-19. What is this, uh, what does this information mean to you in regards to this outbreak? Right. Well, in Joyceville, it means like they're, they have a very, very serious situation right now. And there actually was a statement that was released by prisoners inside Joyceville uh, to the Toronto Prisoner Rights Organization. And it talked about how essentially there's people who are positive on every range. And so um, it's not like people are being isolated away from people who are not sick. I think it just means that it's, it's out of control and people aren't able to, to ensure that they're safe. They can't isolate. And the people inside talked about getting like Corcan, which is the organization that uh, produces products, made masks, which are just like simple fabric. They talked about wanting to create like barriers to their cells out of like shower curtain, but those being taken away. They spoke about like no access to hand sanitizer. So like those numbers tell me that it's out of control, but there aren't the measures in place to ensure people can like stay safe. And that goes for like uh, staff as well. Like people are leaving institutions and they're like, they, they can't access their family because of this extremely serious situation inside the prison. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of things, like a lot of precautions aren't being put in place for the safety of these inmates. And uh, I was reading another article and the spokeswoman, Martin Rondeau, uh, said that there was a plan at the start of the outbreak that it would be the same plan as an influenza outbreak. I, has that worked for them? Has it aided them in, in any way or is it just kind of detrimental? Well, I think it's it's good for them to have plans in place, but I feel like I mean, based on what I've read and heard, it, it just hasn't been enough. Um, and also the information which is sometimes provided to us isn't what you're actually seeing reflected inside the institutions. Um, for example, uh, CEC recently released some updated information once the outbreak in Joyceville was uh, announced saying, you know, all people that are inside have masks, they have proper cleaning supplies. But what we heard from people inside Joyceville is like, they have one uh, prisoner who's been sort of designated as the cleaning person on a range. So cleaning for 50 people. They don't have hot water right now uh, due to some issues with the pipes in the prison. So they can't wash their hands with hot water. Like, so, you know, a plan is all good and fine, but the actual implementation um, with this reality, I think it's really falling flat. Yeah, it sounds like from what I've heard so far from what you've been saying about what's going on inside these institutions and how the inmates are being treated and their, their livelihood. And it doesn't sound like the plan's going exactly how it, how it was supposed to. Oh, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> so in regards to that, what would you say are the main few problems facing institutions during a pandemic like COVID? Right. Well, I think, so the entire way that an institution runs is risk management. So they want to, um, they want to try to mitigate uh, fatalities. They want to bring down numbers. They're really oriented around risk management. I don't think they're necessarily oriented around right now, the well-being of prisoners. So mental health, for example, connection with family, that sort of thing. So their priorities, I think, are causing some failings and other things, other ends. I think because the focus is so much on trying to contain 
uh, and through containing, isolating people, it's causing a lot of stress and fear inside, um, which is not good for uh, CC to meet their mandate, which is around ensuring like the reintegration, rehabilitation of people. Because right now, there's there's none of that happening. People are just scared. So I think that's that's kind of one of the major things that I take away from this. Yeah, it's a, a, a big thing you hear about uh, people living in institutions is the rehabilitation back into society afterwards. And with a pandemic like this, as you said, they're not really focusing more on that re rehabilitation. They're focusing more on the safety, but they're kind of disregarding their mental health in the process of that. Exactly. And in, um, in Joyceville, the prisoners in their statement mentioned that um, CC, the Correctional Service of Canada, told them, told people, you know, take more programs and stuff like that. So there are some programs that are being run, but not by external parties like volunteers, but uh, internal. And so, but the people who wrote the statement said like, a lot of the people in these ranges have been there for years and years. There's really no benefit to them taking, you know, addition, you know, these same programs again. What they really need is, you know, mental health support. They need uh, greater information. They need uh, access to their loved ones. So I think that's, that's one of the big challenges right now. Yeah, it sounds like a big challenge, a big hurdle to get over. And uh, how would you go about fixing these issues with mental health and uh, not being able to talk to the loved ones, these kind of issues? How would you go about that? Right. So I think the very first thing I need to say is um, we need to be focusing on on like compassionate release for some of the people who are sick, you know, who have pre-existing conditions in prisons and some of the elderly people. So especially like in Bath Institution where I've gone inside, there's a lot of uh, aging people that are extremely at risk to COVID. So that would be the, the first thing I would do. <laughs> and then in terms of uh, provincial institutions where there's people on remand who are awaiting sentencing, uh, I don't think that people should be, uh, who haven't even been charged should be in prison right now. I think you need to look at alternatives through parole, through, through community supervision so that people aren't inside. Um, second, I would look into vaccination. So right now there's a lot of talk about who should be at the top of the list to get vaccination. Uh, and I completely agree that long, long-term care homes need to be at the top of the list, but I think institutions also need to be uh, considered a priority. So ensuring that people who want to be vaccinated inside have that access soon, I think is really important. I think there needs to be enhanced measures around uh, people trying to maintain hygiene and isolate in prison. So there needs to be, <laughs> definitely you need hot water again in Joyceville. You need like hand soap, you need proper masks, you need all of that sort of thing. And then I would try to improve transparency around the information that's being provided to people inside. So often people inside say like, they're the last people to know. <laughs> they find out from, you know, outside news sources like us. So I think we need to be communicating better. Uh, and I think that communication needs to be with people on the outside too. So like, you know, it's actually quite difficult to, to tell exactly what's happening inside different institutions that, that needs to change. We need to know. Uh, what else would I do? I think, um, so right now, volunteers who, who provide support, you know, mental health support, that sort of thing, they have no access. So volunteers like me, we don't have access inside. So I think we need to look into either allowing, like, as far as safe access or, or remote video or phone access so that people have those kinds of lifelines to the outside. And then of course the family contact is essential. So those are some of the things I would do. Really emphasizing like get people out that should not be inside right now because we need to be thinking about 
the most vulnerable and how being inside a prison during a pandemic is the worst thing that could be in place for people who are vulnerable due to illness or age. Yeah, it's, it's, those are some really good points. Um, Especially, I would say the point of the kind of institutions being an afterthought uh, during the pandemic, it's not to say that nothing's being put in place, not saying that people aren't doing things, but uh, if, if, say you talk to someone on the, on the street and you just gave them, say, well, who are the f- top three people that do you think should get vaccinated? I don't, I personally don't believe that uh, people would bring up institutions. It's kind of an afterthought for people rather than on the front of their minds. Yes. And I think in addition to being afterthought, I think there's also this idea of deservingness. I think um, once somebody is, is labeled as an offender, labeled as an inmate, if they're inside prison, I think um, people don't think that they necessarily deserve <laughs> the, uh, the most thought during a pandemic, the most care, the most consideration. You know, there's kind of this idea that they did the crime, they should do the time, um, that punishment should be a part of this. But um, but I would really encourage people to have a bit of compassion. <laughs> you know, we're all human beings and people that are inside, um, they're gonna, well, many are gonna be released one day. You know, they have family, they have loved ones, they have communities. So I think we really need to, to slowly shift some of those, those hardwired beliefs about deservingness. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a very kind of stigmatized thing for a long time. Uh, institutions, yeah. especially, uh, I remember back when they, the, we had the, the discussion over if uh, inmates should have the right to vote. And it's kind of a reoccurring theme that people are kind of looking down on inmates rather than seeing them as you said, human beings, and they deserve the same human rights that everyone else does. Exactly. Yeah. I think, um, I think this it's incredibly hard and difficult to get people to sort of shift some of those thoughts. I think it's, it's something that will take a lot of time. But in terms of rights, in terms of things like vaccines, I think it's, it's not even something that needs to be argued that people inside an institution should get it. So, so hopefully, hopefully that will happen. Yeah, hopefully it's a, they get vaccinated. At, at some point, hopefully it's sooner rather than later. Yes, and then also people who are who are sick and elderly will receive the kind the kind of care you know outside of an institution that they they need. I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you very much, Linda, for coming in today. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. For everyone listening, and that was Linda Muscle, a PhD candidate with the Department of Political Studies here at Queen's University. Thank you to anyone listening in to your CFRC 101.9 FM. Have a great rest of your day, folks. Thank you for listening to The Scoop, produced with the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples.